Ask everyone to take your Bibles and please turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Today with the emphasis on child dedication, it's important to understand that the Bible has everything to say about what it is to raise godly children. And it's important that we think of these things biblically. Too many times people have regulated the Word of God to being a Sunday book that only speaks to spiritual things. Understand this, raising children is a spiritual ministry. It is a very spiritual, it is a deeply spiritual ministry. So something that we're going to do since we're doing confession at the beginning of our time of worship together now is recognize the doctrine of illumination. And here's what this is. Every believer in Christ has the Holy Spirit living in them. Because every believer in Christ has the Holy Spirit living in them and that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, we've got a connection with this book in front of us that we might not recognize sometimes. And the amazing thing about the illumination of the Holy Spirit is He is able to bring things to our minds and impress things on our hearts that a normal reading would not happen. That is a supernatural endeavor because we serve a supernatural God and we hold a supernatural book. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a moment to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would impress upon us today to change us for the better and conform us to the image of Christ as Son, that we would be different people because of that illumination. Let's take a moment, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together and to be able to look at what the book of Proverbs has to say about the importance of handling children, training children, loving children, and what our actions say about our heart towards children. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate this text for our understanding and impress upon our hearts and deposit deeply within us, ingrain us fully with the truth that we would operate differently, think differently, because we want to think according to divine truth. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, look with me at Proverbs. We're going to start in chapter 1 with verse 1. We're going to read the first seven verses because the first seven verses give way to what's Proverbs all about? What's the reason for the book? Wisdom. That was a rhetorical question, but moving on. Chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction. Let me give you this word instruction real quick because it's used all throughout the book. This is the word muser and is the idea of discipline or instruction or chastening or correction is the purpose of this book. It's to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. Verse 4, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. And here is the foundational verse of this book, mark it well. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning, the starting place of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now this is an important way to kick this off. Solomon, 
besides the Lord Jesus Christ, is the smartest man to ever live on the face of the earth. And he's done something very interesting. And in everything that he's acquired, everything that he's learned, everything that he knows, he's placing it all together in one book for us to understand and to glean from. Now, some of you do Bible reading programs. And some of you have done something called the 31-day program. And usually the 31-day program is because what they're typically being 31, 30, 31 days in a month, you take a, a day each time and you devote it to one proverb because there are 31 proverbs. And as you do that over and over, month after month after month, you find yourself becoming increasingly familiar with what this book has to say and increasing in wisdom in how you will handle problems. The Bible wasn't just made to be known, it's meant to be applied. That's how we see the difference of God working out in our lives. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, what Solomon wants you to know right up front is, is you can't begin to know anything if you don't start with God. This is one of the reasons why we have such problems in public school education. If you cannot start with an almighty creator and you're attributing the beginning to just matter and stuff exploded, you're leading your children to be stupid. That sounds harsh. Are we sure? Because either we're saying that there is a divine cause behind it all, or we're saying that lifeless nothing did something living. Make your decision. One over the other. It is beginning with a fear, a reverence for the Creator that is the proper starting place for any subject that we would discuss. Notice that that tells us there's a first type of person. Someone who starts with God. Who's the second type of person according to verse 7? Fools. It's not my word. It's God's word. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You ever had somebody graciously go out of their way to tell you something to really help you? I don't listen to them. Don't tell me you haven't done that. I've done that. And what does it tell you? I'm an arrogant fool. Because somebody who's been there before, done it before, knows it better, has got all the stripes and bruises to show from it, is trying to lead us in a better way, which is the very definition of wisdom, so that we don't make the same mistakes. We're a fool if we don't humble ourselves to take note of that. Now the interesting thing is, is Solomon, as with anything else, the context moves us forward and it gives you a crux understanding of this book. Look at verse 8. Hear my what? My son, why do you think Solomon wrote this? Listen to it. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Notice the first thing that Solomon wants to do after he establishes God's place as a starting point of knowledge is he wants to lift up the father and mother familial relationship as head over the home as the ones who not only teach their children, but the ones who are disseminating wisdom and information to their children. The problem is, is that the child may not listen. Notice that this is a warning against that. My son, listen to what your father has to say. Listen to what your mother is telling you. Isn't one of the greatest cries of our hearts as parents is to say, why won't they listen? Isn't it? Yes. Some of us are starting to go bald because of this. 
Why won't they listen? Right? In fact, one interpretive thing that will help you if you work through Proverbs is any time that the word hear is used or the word listen is used, the Hebrew understanding of the word being utilized for that time is don't just know it, obey it. Bring it into your life and make it part of the patchwork of how you're going to move forward in the future. Get it established. If it's shared, get it established. Don't you love it when you tell your child something and they do what they wanted to anyway and you're sitting there going, I had that incident this morning. Why did you do that? I don't know. Right? And that's when you want to grab them by the ears and go, you do know. Because they wanted to do what they wanted to do instead of what they knew was right. And what's the word for that? Do we know? Huh? Sin. Sin. If you want a really good place to start in raising your children, stop using words like mess-ups, slip-ups. Some of them are honest mistakes. I didn't know. Some of them they didn't know. And that's fair to be discerning and hopefully skilled as a parent to line that out. Sometimes it's just flat sin. It's just rebelliousness of heart. Solomon is not ignorant to those things. Notice the beginning is the plea. Listen, please. Incorporate, please. Adapt this. Adopt this. Thread it into who you are as a person so that your life will be a good life. Notice what he says after that. Verse 9. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath on your head and ornaments, necklaces, about your neck. Notice that teaching wisdom instruction from parents to children is meant to be a grand adornment. It's something to make you stand out. It adds value to your person. That's how it moves us forward. And we're going to do a small little trek through here. Trust that you'll pace with me. And also, if you would turn over to chapter 3. You can pull from your bulletin that you have. We do have a page for notes in there if you want to jot some of these things down. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. These two verses are critical because it gives us God's perspective on the family and particularly on children. Verse 11, my son, do not reject the discipline of Yahweh. Stop for a second. Do you realize that Yahweh disciplines our children. That He's actively involved in the rearing of a child. Notice after that it says, do not loathe His reproof. Verse 12, for whom Yahweh, what? Now I only heard about 12 people. <laughs> Johnny come lately's. Notice what it says, for whom Yahweh, What? Loves. He does what? He reproves. One of the great lies that we've been sold in our world, and I have no doubt it's orchestrated by Satan himself, is that if you were to take action to try to discipline your child in teaching them right and wrong, that it's a method of hate. Or that somehow it's cruel. Or that somehow you're brutal for doing so. Or that it's abuse. Those are the ways of the world. Those are not the ways of God. 
The opinions of the world do not stop God from disciplining His children. He disciplines us. It's because He is training us for godliness. And that's part of the process. When we make those mistakes or when we blatantly come against His Word thinking that sin is no big deal, it's not going to bother anybody regardless of what I do. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the ruler of my own life. I can do whatever I want. Those are all attitudes that are bound up in the heart of a child and that show themselves in that relationship. And we have to deal with them. Why? Because God sets the model to deal with it. And to deal with it is to express love. Think about what Hebrews 12 says in quoting this verse. It says, if He didn't discipline you, you'd be illegitimate children. I'm concerned about too many illegitimate children in together families. That's a problem. And it's because we bought into the lie that discipline shouldn't take place. Understand, that's not God's heart in this. God said that love is demonstrated by discipline. Notice it says, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. In other words, by disciplining your child, you are simply modeling how the father already works with his children. He sets the pace for it. He lines out the ideals of how that should work. He demonstrates the heart, not just the chastisement, but the heart that's to be in the midst of it. It starts with the Lord. How about this? Turn forward to 13. Chapter 13, verse 1. A wise son. Stop for a second. God just determined what type of child we're talking about. A wise son accepts his father's discipline. But a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Does that sound a little bit like Proverbs 1-7 that we saw? Yes? No? Yeah, it does. I want to, I want to bring something to your attention about this verse. A wise son accepts his father's discipline. Is the father in this verse disciplining? Today, this is participation church. I don't know what church you thought you came to. Okay? If you came to sit on my hands, church, that's somewhere else in town, but I ain't here. In this verse, is the father disciplining? Yes. Notice what it says. A wise son accepts his father's discipline. The father is disciplining. The father or the mother, regardless, it doesn't matter, is upholding their responsibility given by God to be an active, pointing and teaching and training person to help them determine right and wrong as they grow up. That is happening in this verse. Notice what qualifies the son as wise is accepting that discipline. You know what that means? It means that even when you are upholding what God has called us to do as parents, you cannot control your child to respond properly to that discipline. It means that the notion that discipline needs to be had is something between you as a parent, me as a parent, and God as the Father. How the child receives that discipline especially as they grow in understanding and that discipline has been consistent over matters, begins to reflect upon them as the type of person they're choosing to be. 
Let's be honest, you can't control your kids, can you? In fact, if you tried to control them, that's when you get CPA brought into your situation. Because that's when you result to cruel and unusual things to manipulate a child. Children were not given to be manipulated. They were given to be coached and trained. They will infuriate you like nothing else on the face of the earth. They know exactly what buttons to push, and they don't just push them, they mash them. Yes? But there's everything to be said in how we respond to that. Whether or not they receive it becomes part of the responsibility of the child, not you. Why do I say that? Because so often, parents have fallen into this legalistic mindset of, well, I guess I just didn't do a good job of disciplining them. That's not the whole matter. You may have disciplined them well and done exactly what God desired, and you may have sought to train them, and the love of your heart just cried out for them to be on the right path. Guess what? Children can still become fools when they're older and despise wisdom and destruction. This is what places the personal responsibility for their life and the consequences on their shoulders, not yours. Sometimes as parents, we shoulder a lot of unnecessary guilt. If you're devoted to the Lord, all you're desiring for your life in raising your kids is His will in that, then rest in Him. Because he can sort them out better than we can. Let that be a comfort to you, please. How about this? Chapter 13, verse 24. Look over. Everyone clenches up and stops breathing when they read this verse. It's a really good one. 13.24 He who withholds his rod hates his son. Some of your translations say He who spares the rod spoils the child. Spoils is a weak word. The word means hate. In fact, it's used often throughout Scripture in the same way about how God feels about sin. Is God okay with sin at all? No, He hates it. An all-loving God, an all-good God, actually has something that He hates. It's sin. Now think about what this is saying because the language is very strong on purpose. He who withholds his rod. The idea of the rod here is the chevette, not the car. Don't think about that. But it means a rod, a staff, a branch. Anybody's grandmama ever tell them to go out and cut off a switch and bring it in? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody that raised their hand is from the south. Exactly. You guys might not know anything about that up here. A big wooden spoon? Wooden spoon's up here. And let's be honest, guys, the only place it was worse than the backside was the back of the legs. Anybody ever have that one? Right? You ever like, well, I've been eating a lot of pork chops lately. This ain't no big deal. And then they light you up in the back of the legs and you do a dance for a while. It's like a Charlie Brown episode. If you withhold discipline, and notice this is talking about a means of correction, that is physical in matter. Notice it's not advocating abuse. It's not advocating that the child deserves a beating. It's the idea of skillfully using wisdom and recognizing what situations fall under this type of punishment in order to correct it so that it doesn't happen frequently. Notice, if you forsake this, 
The Word of God says you hate your child. You say, well, that's insane. I don't hate my child. How in the world could God say that? Well, look at the parallel to this. But he who, what's the word? Think about this. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. Now, there's some discrepancy over what this might mean, dil- disciplines him diligently. And some of the research I, sh- I found was the idea of not letting the discipline situation go on for so long before you step in and you deal with it. Some have actually looked at this and said, you start early. That's what happens. You get in there with your child and you begin at the beginning. Some people have waited too long to discipline their kids and they wonder what has happened. Time of greatest learning tends to happen around three years old. In fact, for a Jewish culture that would have utilized this book in child training, they all started with their kids at three years old. Because that is a time of the greatest learning. It's a time when speech is developing, recognizing some things about the world is starting to take place. A lot of brain development is going on. Some of the best times to start teaching your kids Scripture so that they can memorize it and recite it. They may not know fully what it means, but that gives you teaching points later on as a parent. They begin to unfold those things. They can just name them off. Great. Stop and say, do you know what it means to fear the Lord? No, what's it mean? I love those conversations with Nathaniel. I love them because it gives us an opportunity to press down on what he already knows, just kind of memorized, and give it a little bit more substance to it. Teach your kids Scripture. He who loves him disciplines him diligently. Start early with your children. How about chapter 19? Again, I'm giving you all of these. There's much more that this book has to say. I'm giving you these so that you can spend time with them on your own throughout the week. Here's another reiteration to start early with your child. Start young. Verse 18, chapter 19, verse 18. Discipline your son while there is hope. What does that tell you? It tells you there's going to come a time when trying to start disciplining the child later in life is a hopeless pursuit. When Beth and I realized we were going to have kids and we're freaking out, 39 years old and having your first child, God, what in the world are you doing? I have a pastor friend in Evansville who asked for he and his wife to come and, and sit with us and hang out. The reason is is because they have nine kids. And they're not just bunny rabbits. I mean, they, they have good kids. They're great kids. Sorry, is that too honest? I mean, that's what godly marriages do. I don't know what you guys have been doing, but whatever. Anyway, they have well-rounded kids. They're, they're grounded. They're not doing anything strange. Oddly enough, they're all homeschooled, you know? But they're really good kids, respectful kids. I mean, fantastic. And, and, and I just wanted to ask the question, what'd you do? How do, how do, you, how do you tackle that? How, how do you get in there? He said, you got to start early. You start training them from the beginning. Because you're just setting a pattern for this is how life really works. In the eyes of the Lord. 
The world's got their ways. The world's got their paths. Everybody heard of TikTok? What's that teaching kids? Some of you over 12, what's that teaching you? Some things we see we would never say out loud or admit that we'd looked at it, have we? But it's training the world to know something. How long has Satan crafted this world to objectify a woman's body? And we wonder why we have the problems that we have in schools. Satan's got his agenda. He's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish unless you get truth in the way and you block it out and you start early. And that way when they know the ways of the Lord, they'll look at the things of the world and they'll go, man, that's strange. Why are they doing that? And then you get the opportunity to say, because it's sin and because they need a Savior. That's why. Discipline your son while there is hope. And do not desire his what? What in the world does that mean? Are there parents who sit around going, you know what, I wish my kid would just croak. That sounds harsh and unusual. That sounds sick. What does it mean? What's the contrast? Discipline your child while there's still hope. Okay? We understand that while there's a time period. That pastor told me by the time they're 12 years old, if they don't know, they're not going to. If you missed it between the ages of 10 and 12, you missed it. It's gone. You've missed all of the training that you could possibly do in order to set them up. Because those first 10 to 12 years, we're all setting a foundation. And then the six to eight years that you have after that, before they leave the home, which they probably should leave the home at 18. I don't know what we got going on, but yeah, I would hope that would happen. But in that time, it's application of everything that they've learned and giving them opportunities to live out that foundation that's been laid. What does it mean to not desire his death? It means by not taking the initiative when there was a time of hope, you've set them up for early failure. By not disciplining, that falls on the shoulders and the conscience of the parent. It means that a life that goes along in prolonged sin where right and wrong had never been dealt with could lead to an early unexpected death. You say, well, I don't think that's true. Okay, cool. I'm glad you said that. Look at Proverbs 22. Let's line this out. The first thing is, is why would you want to lay that foundation? We know this one, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, some have said what it is, is that you've got to use the skill and you've got to figure out who your child is, how do they learn, how do they operate. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about recognizing those things. Some kids don't understand yelling. Some kids do. In fact, some kids, when you talk to them quietly, they think something is severely wrong. Right? Some of them understand what it is to be spanked. Some of them are more motivated by the idea of stand in the corner. Or you might have to be isolated from the rest of the group while they're doing something for a time because of what you did. For socialite kids, that drives them crazy. Figuring out how your child works, what communicates best with them, spending the time investing in that. That's not just a mom's job, dads. That's a dad's job. 
Because a husband and wife are a team to tackle this. It takes both of you. And if you've got over two, you're outnumbered, you need each other. Right? Right? Some of you that got three just got saved. That's good. <laughs> train up a child in the way she go. Notice that it's training. What is training? What's it mean to train? Teach? How often? Diligently? Always. Repeatedly. Over and over. You know what that means? That there's a lot of patience. There's a lot of patience involved. There's a lot of being calm. There's a lot of checking your heart before the words come out. And when those things don't happen, there's where that conversation needs to happen where you grab your child's hands and you say, Daddy sinned. And I'm sorry. That was not the way to handle this. And to be real with your child about the fact that we sin too. And that we need Christ just as much as they do. Training them takes time. Everything I've heard, don't know from experience, it's not over at 18, is it? No. In fact, that's when the real world picks up. And things really begin to unfold. And it's about, from what I understand, age 27. I think that's when I started going, well, my parents know something. Right? That you really get the opportunity to pour into them in those great ways. They actually ask you questions. That's a good thing, right? Makes me think of the apostles. The only thing they ever asked Jesus is, teach me how to pray. They didn't ask him anything else. Might only get one question during that early time, but afterwards you get many when they grow. Train them. Here's the reason why. Many times what you're pouring into a child is what you often get out of it. And there's too much lack of training and lack of pouring in and lack of giving of self and separating self from the personal selfish things that we often desire to do that is going to put into them to be the man and woman of God that they need to be at a later date. It's a lot of giving. I did not have a clue. I'm sure some people could have told me. I didn't know how selfish I was till we had kids. I didn't know how self-centered I was. I was like, yeah, I'm a prideful individual. Having kids, I'm a prideful individual. Good grief. Because it's no longer like something that you just kind of smell with your nose. It's a punch in the nose at that moment. So now you have to decide how are you going to engage a situation with your kids? Do you get in there and do you train or do you just kind of let it go? Parents too often get out of their children what they put in to their children. Parents have got to take an active role. I mean, let's be honest. Who's going to raise them? Depends on who you ask, right? School? The village? Politicians are coming out saying, we don't understand where parents have gotten this idea that they are the ones who tell their kids what to do. And they're freely admitting this. Some of the most profound, sinful, and deceit-filled language as far as how God orchestrated the family, which was a before-the-fall situation. God created the family ever before sin came in. Way before. So let's not make that mistake. 
Notice, train up a child in the way they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, by laying that godly foundation early and often, because that's what training is, they are going to find it hard to detach from that as they mature. It's going to be even more and more hypocritical to step away from that foundation if it's something that they understand is here are what the parameters of right and wrong are. Chuck Swindoll said it best. We live in a world where wrong is right and right has become strange. If a parent is not there to guide and to discipline when they get off course, how else are they going to know? These are things we've got to teach. How many people have heard of furries? Raise your hand. Furries. Some of you younger kids have. There was a decision by a school board that they are not going to invest in litter boxes for children in their schools. What in the world are you talking about? See, I got everybody's attention now. In order to provide for the children for those who identify as furries. Having animal-like qualities and are attracted to others who are animal-like. Everybody's like, what church did I just come to? (laughs) Some of you didn't know that's where kids are. That's where they are. Some of you didn't know that stating whether or not you're a male or female, that's become a crime now. How God has created things, well, I don't know. It's up for grabs. Is it? We live in a strange world. We live in a sinful world. And those are sinful ideologies. Because what it's done is, it's discredited everything that God has said. But number two, it discredits the unique way that people were made in His image and His likeness. We are not like the rest of the creation. We have souls. Sorry to say, cats do not. We are different. Neglecting even little basic principles like that, this is Genesis 1 stuff, is now creating all of this confusion. We don't want the parents to know. It's none of their business. We'll just keep this quiet for a while. Just because they show up, he shows up to school like this and then goes in the bathroom and changes into a dress and we've got to address him as she and her for the rest of the day until it's time to get on the bus and then they can change back into their slacks and go home. Is that right? This is our world. This is our world. This is our world. It's a crazy world. It's a world that has been carefully crafted by the father of lies, the one who is the murderer from the beginning. Let's not be naive. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we're dumb. Being a Christian means we have a corner on the truth and everything around us needs to hear it. We train them up so that when they're older, they will not depart from it. Look over at verse 15. Foolishness. Everybody remember Proverbs 1.7? Fear of the Lord's beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. How do you work towards making sure the children don't become fools in their mature years. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. 
It's bound up from day one. Why? Because all kids are? Thank you. Because all kids are precious little charming babies who float on clouds. And their mother's hearts, yes. And their mother's minds, no. They're sinners. We love them. Love them to pieces. I love my kids to pieces. They do sinful things. Sinful things. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child early on. Notice what it says. The rod of discipline, same word we saw before, the rod of discipline will remove it far from them. In other words, you have to apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning in order to remove foolish ways and foolish decisions. Foolish thinking. Foolish approaches. You're saying, is that the only way to discipline? No. Not at all. Kids learn in different ways. God's approach seems pretty clear. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that God was wrong at all. The rod of discipline removes it far from them. Now look here, 23. Chapter 23, verses 13 and 14. We're wrapping it up. Verse 13, do not hold back discipline from the child. Notice young, early on. Although you strike him, okay, that freaks us out, right? We could replace that, although you spank him. Although you bring some sort of physical force into the situation. And understand it needs to be done with skill. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. What's Solomon trying to tell us? <laughs> yeah, they, Scott just gave the best commentary. You spank your kid, they ain't going to kill him. They're not going to die because of it. Parents do worse things to their kids without laying a hand on them. And for some reason, when our minds have wanted to put the idea of physically disciplining our child into the bad brutality category, understand that that is the direction that Satan would have you do it so that you do not follow God's word. If discipline is not done in love as the father, God the father, loves us as his children, and as a father or mother should love their children, Discipline is an exercise of love. If a child is undisciplined, will they grow in foolishness? What's the verse say? Absolutely. So this drives it out of their heart, helps them recognize, sets a foundation of, that's not right. How about needing to teach our children about the Holy Spirit once they become believers in Christ? That the Holy Spirit's letting you know, don't do that. It's, Absolutely. 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 Because it takes discernment. Sometimes they just don't seem to get it, do they? And there's a part of you that goes, come on. <laughs> right? And that's when we go back to the word train. The truth doesn't change. So we bring it over and over and over. And over and over and over and over. Be patient. Time and time again. 
Notice it says, verse 14, You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul. From where? The word means hell. That's serious. By implementing discipline into the family structure and driving foolishness out of the heart, you are demonstrating your love for the child and you are stopping them what would be an eternal destiny that would give way to the lake of fire. It is actually a means of garnering them towards salvation. We believe that. I don't know how else to understand this verse. We will snatch them away. That's what the word rescue there means. It's grabbing the, the tablecloth and pulling it away so quickly that the china is still standing. Snatching our kids away from the fire. It's in the interest of the child. Kevin said it. It's not angry. It's not selfish. In fact, I would say this. If there's not something in your heart that trembles about needing to spank your child, you might want to rethink and pray about how you're doing it. Because I hate spanking my child. Yelling doesn't work. It's one of my favorite methods. (laughs) It makes me feel better. And sometimes that's just immediate, right? It's usually in the form of, what are you doing? Yeah, understand guys, I sin more than all of you. That's why God put me in front of you. To be a very, very good example of what not to do. But when you come to your child, because you know that discipline has to be carried out, it was blatant and deliberate disobedience and defiance. Having that conversation of, I hate spanking you. I hate this. But you don't seem to understand the difference between right and wrong. And even when you know it's wrong, you're still pushing through and you're doing it. When you have all of those little warnings that are knocking on your heart saying, don't do that. So it's meant to be set as a reminder. You save them from an early death, an untimely death. How about the last one here? Look at Proverbs 29. Again, there's so much more in here. In fact, I would encourage you moms, dads, read through Proverbs. Spend time in it. Stretch it out over a few months. Get your pen out and get engrossed in Proverbs. Proverbs 29. Look at verse 15. And this is interesting. The rod and what? Reproof. We understand the rod is the physical means of addressing the disobedience. What is reproof? It's verbal correction. It could also be translated rebuke. Showing the child they're wrong verbally in order to understand why they're correcting them. If you spank your child and you don't give them any reason for what they did wrong or am lining that out for them so that they're understanding and beginning to comprehend, well, I did that and that was completely wrong. It will not connect. It has to be connected. The rod and reproof give what? Is that a good thing? 
Notice how necessary discipline is to this process. But a child who gets his own way, if you want to write something in, spoiled brat, running amok, no respect. Let's not pretend like we don't know those kids. Maybe we need to sit down with some parents and share Proverbs 29. It sounds like a good idea to me now that I'm thinking about it. Because I know some parents that need it. Well, those parents wouldn't listen to it. Don't let their lack of receptivity keep you from doing the right thing and communicating the truth. Hold them accountable. I've got some people coming to mind that needs to happen. Not here. Don't freak out. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Moms, how many of you like to feel shame about your kids not obeying? There's something about that that grabs a portion of your heart that nothing else can touch, doesn't it? It grieves you like no end. I can only imagine the grief my mother went through between the ages of forever and 21. I put that woman through the ringer. She told me, she said, I prayed for you every day. I prayed for you every day. I believe it too. My mom walks around the house talking to Jesus like he's hanging out at the table, you know, eating grippos or something. I don't know. You guys don't know what grippos are. Never mind. Pork rinds, whatever. Moving on. That's getting us totally off. Forget all that. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases. If you don't deal with sin, does it get worse? Oh, it does. Our own lives should recognize that. If you don't deal with your sin drastically, if your right eye causes you sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. What's that mean? Maim yourself? No. It's deal drastically with your sin quickly. Deal with it. If not, why? It'll just grow. You'll reason yourself and it's not that bad and it'll just be more and more and more and you will never get the victory that Christ has already secured over it. Look what it says here. When the wicked increase, transgression increases. But the righteous will see their fall guaranteed in. Christ has already won it all. So we know how it's going to come out. So how does this apply to parenting? Look what it says, verse 17. Here's the other end of the book in. Correct your son. Same word, discipline, chasten. Correct your son and he will give you what? That's much better than bringing shame to his mother, right? Mothers love to be comforted. They hate grieving over their children. How do you aid as a parental figure in preventing that end from happening? To do everything that you possibly can on your end, you bring in correction and discipline because that's what imparts wisdom to them. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. In other words, it will impart inner joy to you. It's a big responsibility, isn't it? It's kind of a hefty, hefty, oh my gosh, got to be involved. Maybe you're sitting here and you think, you know what, I haven't taken this discipline thing seriously. Today's the day. Well, my kids are already out of the house. It doesn't, doesn't stop you from being a catalyst for the Lord and imparting wisdom to them. 
It doesn't stop. Now here's what I'm going to ask. Parents today who participated in this dedication ceremony, just raise your hands up a little bit. Everybody see them? Everybody see them? Look around. Look around. Here's what I'm going to ask. This might make some of you feel uncomfortable, and that's fine. You can sit where you are and pray where you are. But I want to have about five minutes of prayer for these families, for these parents. And if you would, especially elders of the church, if you would stand up and go over and lay hands on these parents and seek the Lord's face on behalf of these parents. Because we can sit here and have all the best tactics, strategies, plans, the latest methods that people are using, and all this other stuff that people are trying to sell you on Facebook. If you don't have the Lord intimately involved, and if you don't have the Holy Spirit giving the power in these situations, it will not be for God's glory. And we need the Lord's help in these things, not just better ways to do the same old thing. So let's take a few moments. Let's do that, please. Father in heaven, your word is very clear. The children are a blessing from you. And Lord, what responsibility is placed in our hands. Thank you that you've not left us ignorant. But you've given us everything in your word for life and godliness. And that includes imparting life to our children. And training them in in godliness. Father, help us to see the value of our role as parents in a new light with a fresh understanding. And that, Lord, we would be humbling ourselves before you regularly in prayer and in the study of your word. That you would develop us in us more and more the godly character that we could demonstrate for our children to follow. Lord, that we not just speak it, but we live it. Father, if we have reservation about obeying your word, change our hearts. Because of what we've heard, make us different people. And let it all be for your glory, all of it. All of our families, our marriages, our kids, all of it to give praise to your holy name. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.